0: Thank you very much, Anna Maria. It was a pleasure leading that pilgrimage with you and Mike, and my mom and my brother, sister-in-law, and um, his. One of my nephews were able to join the other pilgrims. So it was a very. And Angela, who's here also, was a very blessed pilgrimage. Um, that's another way I spiritually keep in shape is uh, leading pilgrimages. Right, it's more of a pleasure for me than than I obviously pastoral work in those settings, especially the Holy Land, is a great gift. Um, So, it was a great pleasure. It's always a a grace to come back here to Raleigh and to visit with family, but here to preach the mission. Every time I come back to St. Joseph's, uh, the blue background that I believe Monsignor Ingham put in and the stars, the golden stars, remind me of my first mass. Well, I was ordained November 25th, 2004, big con celebration in St. Mary Major Basilica in Rome. And then the following day, all of the concelebrants or all the newly ordained priests with most of the legionaries who were in Rome at that time had a, a big concelebration in St. Paul outside the walls. So it wasn't until my, the third day after, the second day after my ordination, is when I celebrated my first mass just as the principal celebrant with one helper priest. And that was in the Basilica of Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, one of the basilicas in Rome dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And it has a beautiful blue mosaic ceiling with golden stars. So every time I come back here, I remember that first mass that I celebrated, of course, with my family, and Monsignor Ingham, I believe, was there. So it was a very, very beautiful time. So it's a, a great privilege to be back, and certainly when the topic is the Eucharist, I mean, what words can actually do credit to the Eucharist? So none, really. Anything I say will simply be, hopefully, And uh, somehow inspire something that really the dialogue between you and Christ. So as we begin this parish mission, uh, maybe my focus I'd like to just throw out there is for the whole three days uh, you could call it a fruit. The legionaries were trained much in the Ignatian spiritual exercises and with every reflection uh, that we have, every block of time meditation we call them during the spiritual exercises, there's always some type of spiritual fruit that you would ask God to be the result of that particular meditation. And what I want to invite all of you uh, to have as the fruit of this mission, the spiritual fruit of this mission, is a very simple one, probably something that we all think about maybe every day, and I'm taking it from St. Ignatius himself. And one part of the spiritual exercises, uh, the goal is to know Jesus more intimately to love him more intensely, and to follow him more closely. So for these three days, if we can gain the knowledge of Christ, to know him more intimately, to love him more intensely, and then thirdly, to follow him more closely, if we take a step in that direction, well then, through the Holy Spirit, this mission will be, have been a success. So that's the overall goal, that uh, certainly it's not something new, but we have to maybe remind ourselves, especially during Lent, that there can be progress, and there can be ways that we uh, can say that I know and love Christ better. Uh, Just a brief overview of of these three days. Tonight, I'll say a few words about giving thanks for the Eucharist, and why three reasons I I just uh, thought about that, why we can give thanks for the Eucharist, that's tonight, Tomorrow, Thursday evening, given that it was the day of the Lord's Supper, I will reflect on the words of institution of the Eucharist tomorrow night, and then on Friday, the overall talk will be, of course, the cross, the cross and the Eucharist. So tonight we'll in a few reflections on why would we give thanks for the Eucharist tomorrow, reflect on the institution of the Eucharist, the actual words, and then Friday uh, have some Correlation between the Eucharist and the cross. So tonight, why do we give thanks? What are some of the many, many reasons we can give thanks to Christ for the Eucharist? Well, I picked three. First of all, uh, we give thanks because the Eucharist is a source of unity. Secondly, uh, the Eucharist helps us to know Jesus better. And thirdly, we are grateful because in the Eucharist, Christ has given us the highest form of worship. So those are the three things we're giving. Thanks to our Lord for tonight or reflecting. Again, the whole point of this is that some of the words that I speak might uh, instill in something in you, a, a time that you can then take to dialogue with Christ, because that's the real, where the real fruit takes place, is your personal dialogue with Jesus Christ, who is really, truly present here, body, blood, soul, and divinity. I'd like to start with this first part, Jesus and the Eucharist as the source of unity in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, St. Paul reflects, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And then further on, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Remember, maybe first reading this passage, I don't even know when, but I never uh, related this verse, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God, St. Paul was talking about in First Corinthians, the Eucharist, the whole meal, and he was contrasting it with the pagan sacrifices, because in Corinth, there was an issue of what meat were you able or allowed to eat. As a a newly converted Christian, what could you eat? There were basically a couple of types of meat. First of all, there was the meat that was sacrificed to the idols, and they would go in their temples, and they would sacrifice the meat, and just like most sacrificial banquets, you then had to partake during that sacrificing to idols of that particular meat. And St. Paul was telling the Corinthians, the new converts, obviously you you must not eat of that meat that is directly sacrificed and is part of that pagan banquet, you may not eat of that. But he did say, if that meat somehow finds itself in the public square uh, and is being sold, don't, don't trouble your conscience about trying to investi- investigate where that meat came from. You're, you're able to eat that meat. Um, but it's all done in the context, he talks about the pagan sacrifices, then he talks about the Jewish sacrifices, and then he talks about the sacrifice of Christ. That's where he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Regarding this meat sacrificed to idols, he said, I mean, what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to become participants with demons you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and also the cup of demons. But then with regard to the meat sold in the public markets, eat everything sold in the markets. So St. Paul was writing this letter to the Corinthians he was in Ephesus at the time. And again, he's contrasting it with the different type of, of pagan and Jewish sacrificial meals that were going on. So the whole point of this is that he was taking it for granted that the very first Christian communities saw the Eucharist as part of a sacrificial banquet. We might take that for granted. But this breaking of the bread that's so often referred to in the Acts of the Apostles once wasn't simply a, a meal At a table, this breaking of bread. From the very beginning, from St. Paul himself, he inherited this tradition that this banquet of the body and blood of our Lord is a true sacrifice. Not the pagan sacrifice, not the Jewish sacrifice, but the Christian sacrifice. And so, the understanding of the Eucharist as Mass and Mass as a sacrifice unites not only St. Paul... And it unites, of course, the one he was writing in the city of Ephesus, so it it, it united the Ephesians, the Corinthians, but it also unites us here in Raleigh, North Carolina in 2024. That this sacrificial meal is the source of unity. And, of course, we can extrapolate, we can apply that to all ages of the church. We are in a true mystical, not meaning in the sense that it's somehow fake or not real, but a true mystical union with all of the church by participating in this Eucharist. So again, whether it's Corinth, Ephesus, Raleigh, we are one body. I just, I love thinking about that, that the Eucharist makes us united with everyone who has participated throughout the history of the church. So maybe you can pick your favorite saint and know that that saint is worshiping with you right now. They're in heaven. They're worshiping at the, the eternal banquet. And we have just a, one small participation in that. Again, what he says The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So let's give thanks to our Lord that we too have this great grace of being united in him, not just this body. Not just the past, but all the history of the church united in Christ, reunited throughout all of history, time and space, and with all of those who have celebrated and participated in the Eucharist. Secondly, what does the Eucharist tell us about Christ? Why do we give thanks? Well, because it tells us more about Jesus Christ. It tells us really the depth of his love. It tells us mainly of course that he is god he is able to unite all of us in his body an incredible fact we could say of revelation that we could never come up with ourselves who would possibly have thought of something so incredible that we actually participate in the, the same body as all the all the saints so the, that's really the most profound meaning of his outstretched arms on the cross It's a sign of his infinite, all-embracing love. I think one of the dangers uh, of humility can be a false humility, where we somehow don't believe that God can really love me personally. I'm too insignificant, I've got too many sins, or whatever the reason. Or, you know, it could be an excuse for laziness. Well, God doesn't care about me anyway, so I can kind of just do whatever I want, because he's not really concerned with me. So there could be a danger in that false humility. But as Pope Benedict reflected, uh, I believe it was an introduction to Christianity, talks about when we start practicing that false humility, what we're actually doing is limiting God. We're putting our small mindset and putting limits on who God can love and where he can love. Why does God have to only be involved in the creation of the of the, of the galaxies or something that's hugely Uh, even beyond our our comprehension of how something big is. Why do we only relate those things to God? If God is God, that means he encompasses all of creation, every single bit of it, even to the smallest person, we could say. There is no person, no thing that somehow goes outside the all-embracing love of Jesus Christ. And in the Eucharist, we actually participate in that all-embracing love of Jesus Again, we have to avoid putting God into a box and deciding for him what he should consider important and unimportant. Thankfully, Christ is not limited by our way of thinking. He embraces the entire universe from the farthest corners of space to those hidden contours of our hearts. So we really do have to ask Christ to uh, enter in to the contours of my heart, whatever particular spiritual state I'm in right now, Jesus knows He created you. He knows the state of your soul and He always always wants to lift you up from wherever you are into a greater union with Him and He actually does so with the Eucharist. And of course how can we not give thanks to our Lord for that? And this knowledge of Christ that His love is all-embracing, there's nothing that, in, that a heart open to His grace, there's no obstacle that cannot be made part uh, or to be taken away in our union with him. So let's not put limits on Christ, uh, let's say, for these three days or for or if uh, some, some particular petition, something you want to ask of Christ for your own personal life, your own personal spiritual growth. Don't put limits on him. Uh, if it's his will and if you're open to it, he will give you the grace to make whatever you're asking for a reality. If it's for his glory and for your good. So we give thanks to our Lord and the Eucharist, first of all, that it's a source of unity. We give thanks to our Lord that through the Eucharist we get a little insight into his all-embracing love, but we can't put limits on his love because once we do that, uh, you know, if we did that, then the Eucharist itself wouldn't make any sense. How can Christ possibly transform bread and make it his body and transform wine and make it his blood? So again, Christ. Uh, Transforms our small way of thinking and unites himself uh, according to his plan, not according to our standards. So uh, the last, the third element of giving gratitude for, for Christ in the Eucharist is because through the Eucharist, Jesus gives us the highest form of worship. Uh, I've often thought, or not often, but just for whatever reason, the past few months, been reflecting on there's never been a time in the in history of humanity or in the history of the church where everything is going well. There's always times of, of distress, of, of division, of distraction, of, of people going against Christ and the church in, in a profoundly evil way. Ours, Our time is no different. Our day and age is no different, but I've asked myself why. It seems anyway that it's, it's kind of so bizarrely out of control now. And one thing, and I don't know if it's true, but I really believe it has to do with right worship. If we believe, which we do, that God is the creator of all things and that human life was given to us in order to praise and to glorify him, our praise and our glorification of God is the high point of of what a human person can do. We have the capability to do many, many things, but I don't know what could surpass giving glory and true worship to the God who created it. So if that's the pinnacle of what we can do with our freedom is to worship God, the way we believe as Catholics, we do that, of course, is in the celebration of the Mass. That's the high point of the worship of God. So I've thought to myself, uh, the liturgy, if people... And sometimes, unfortunately, the pastors of the church can be the ones responsible for that. If we decide we can tamper with what happens in the liturgy, well, then that even, maybe without reflecting, that causes in the faithful the idea, well, if worship, if the highest thing the human person can do is kind of up for grabs, you can kind of do with it as you will, well, then what other human action isn't up to whatever you want to do? If I can fiddle with the liturgy and tamper with the liturgy, and that's the high point of a human action, well, then am I not sending the message that everything is up to your personal decision, how you decide to do things? So we really do have to ponder and thank God for the authority of the church that gives us the liturgy the way uh, when Peter, when Jesus said, when Peter professed his faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and Jesus said, I, for you for saying that, Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Uh, and you have authority to bind and to loose. Part of that authority to bind and to loose is, is authority to govern the church, especially in the liturgy. So whatever has been approved by the church in terms of liturgy, we should reserve, uh, see as sacred. But that doesn't give us, it's not our property. We can't just do whatever we feel like. And when we start doing that, I truly believe it starts instilling in the faithful moral relativism, to the extent that, well, at Mass, they kind of do whatever they want. I'm just going to go outside of Mass and do whatever I want. So we have to give thanks to our Lord that he has given us this church that has given us approved liturgy uh, according to the mind of Christ. So this, um, this uh, last section of, of this evening's talk, uh, anything I say that's good will come from uh, The Spirit of the Liturgy, the book of, by Cardinal Ratzinger. Uh, because it touches upon the true nature of the liturgy. First of all, um, again, we should be grateful that we've received this true worship in the form that God in Jesus Christ has given it to us. We didn't invent it. Jesus gave us this gift at the Last Supper. And we'll reflect on those words tomorrow night. Uh, We all know that Vatican II stressed active participation in the liturgy, This phrase, however, was quickly misunderstood to mean something external. And he says that, unfortunately, active participation uh, was quickly understood to mean the following, that as many people as possible, as often as possible, should be visibly engaged in action. Pope Benedict, then Cardinal Ratzinger, was saying that's exactly not what the Vatican II meant by active participation in the liturgy it's not that as many people as possible and as often as possible should be visibly engaged in action. Now, of course, the different ministries that lay people perform in the liturgy are good, they're noteworthy, and they're, they're to be praised. But that's not that wasn't the kernel of what active participation meant. Uh, so we can ask ourselves, how am I supposed to be actively participating? If it's not uh, being a minister, in some way visibly, how is it? What is this active participation? Of course, the hint, of course, is that what I used at the very beginning when St. Paul asked, is not our communion in the blood of the Lord a communion in the blood of Christ and our communion in the body a communion in the body of Christ, a, a participation? So how do I go about actively participating? By doing things that people see? No. The act of participation is something that goes deep into the heart. So, first of all, that word participation. So, participation means that there's one central action going on during the mass, and we all have parts in that one central action. For most, uh, up and before Christ, animal sacrifice was. Um, the principal thing of religion so religion saw as the principal action up to the point of Jesus was animal sacrifice, that was it that was worship, sacrificing an animal that's the heart and soul of, of a worship of God so the Christians obviously had to take a stand against that because even though they were, the first Christians were Jewish they understood now that the Paschal Land was simply a sign of, of Jesus. And so um, after animal sacrifice, the Christians were telling the pagans that the action of sacrificing a goat or an ox was now irrelevant. So the animal didn't matter anymore. It wasn't, that wasn't what sacrifice was about. Cardinal Ratzinger goes, on, Ratzinger goes on to say, Christianity is the true spiritual religion in which a word-based worship takes place. So again, so it's no, no longer a physical animal; it's a word. If you were a, a spiritual based worship, but here's where faith kicks in—the incredible reality of our faith. The word that is given to us is the word of Jesus Himself, and Jesus mentions this whole idea, the fulfillment of worship. He mentions it to the, the Samaritan woman in John chapter four. He says, "God is spirit." And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So again, the pagan sacrifices, even the Jewish sacrifice of the Passover, was a symbol of a spiritual worship that God was preparing people for. The the participation in the Catholic Mass. The early church called this type of spiritual worship using the Latin word for public speech was oratio. So I suppose if a, a, a politician gave a speech in, in ancient Rome, his formal public speech was called oratio. So the church, early church fathers took that term of solemn public speech and applied it to what? The Catholic Mass. So they saw, through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the tradition of the church and Jesus' own action, That this action was, of course, you probably guessed it, the Eucharistic prayer. That's the central action. It's a prayer. It's Jesus taking the bread, saying the words over the consecration, taking the wine, saying the words of blessing over the cup. And, of course, we start that with the preface, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. And Jesus is talking about a worship in spirit and in truth. No longer an animal sacrifice, but a sacrifice of the heart. But this oratio is sacred. Why? Well, because Jesus. Jesus is the God who gave us this this oratio, this sacred word. And through the power of orders, he gives the priest the power to take the bread and say, this is my body, this is my blood. So God is speaking through the priest. The action of God is takes place through human speech. That's the great mystery of the Eucharist. Through human speech, God is active. God is active. And that participation is what active participation in the liturgy means. That in the words of the priest, again, it's not simply the priest, it's God acting in that moment. Jesus offering his entire body, blood, soul, and divinity for the salvation of the world to the glory of the Heavenly Father. If we are uniting our mind and heart to that principal action of the Eucharist, of the liturgy, well, then we are actively participating, even if we don't say an audible word, even if we're not personally um, taking part in one of the external uh, actions of the Mass. Of course, that does not mean that external action is somehow wrong or anything like that. It simply means that we're, what we're called to do here in this Eucharist and what we're going to do now hopefully for the next half an hour is this whole idea of worshiping in spirit and in truth, that God has left us this very, very dear gift, that his speech, Jesus' speech at the Last Supper, this oratio, this solemn public speech, and the community of the disciples was then given to the entire church, and now we are united all the way back to the very first Christian community. And when we receive the body and blood of Christ, we're receiving his risen body, and we're uh, we're training our bodies for the resurrection, is the phrase that, that Cardinal Ratzinger used. We're training our bodies for the resurrection, because we know... Uh, our, our life is so often weighed down by sin. That's why the Eucharist is such an essential part of our spiritual life, because we're training ourselves for a different type of life. It's a life surrendered to God and given to others for the glorification of our, of our of God and for the good of others. And this whole training our bodies for the resurrection, I think, goes very well with not only this mission, these three nights of mission, but I know on Good Friday and Holy Saturday, St. Joseph is doing a parish mission where this training our bodies for the resurrection, uh, you can go out and serve others, just like Christ did. a whole public ministry certainly was prayer, uh, the essential part, but then that prayer was exemplified and, and, and given as service, as love for his Father and love for others. So as we come here before the Eucharist this beginning night, let's thank our Lord for uh, being the source of unity, that whoever we need to pray for, they can be brought into this unity through our, our participation in the body and blood of Christ, even our worship of the body and blood of Christ. We thank our Lord uh, that we get to know Him a little bit better here in the Eucharist. Just by spending time with Him, just like when we're out in the sun, we get light and warmth. Your presence here, even if you don't feel it, Christ is exuding his goodness, his grace, and he's simply asking you for a a heart open to whatever he's asking you to do. We give him thanks for that. And we give him, of course, the greatest thanks for this, this gift of the Eucharist, this highest form of worship. Whatever humanity has done, the good and the bad in terms of worship of God, we now know that this is the highest form. So we can never do anything better with our time than spend it here with our blessed Lord. And again, we're training our bodies for the resurrection to be filled with his love, his grace, so that we can go out and imitate him uh, for the conversion of the world, which needs it so very much.